0: Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cleared for Takeoff. I'm your host, Gavin Rice, and I want to share what I've learned in aviation both on the job, off the job, and what I've encountered everywhere in between. Well, what a busy couple of weeks I've had. The end of May concluded with a four-day assignment, which was out of base reserve in Indianapolis. And day one was pretty easy because it was just a deadhead into position. And then I just went to the hotel and, and stayed there for the night. What was not so friendly to my circadian rhythm was that my reserve assignment for the next day began at three a.m. I tried my darndest to, to get to bed at a reasonable hour, but we all know that can be a little bit difficult. Uh, what I did is I actually set my alarms for just a couple minutes after three a.m. because we do actually have twenty minutes to respond to a short call notice if uh, you know if we don't pick up the phone right away. Uh, but I did leave my phone on ringer so that if they did contact me right at 3am, uh, I should definitely hear that too. Uh, I figured they would probably use me since there were only three of us first officers on reserve in Indianapolis for that day, but I did not however think that they would call me right at 3am, but they sure did. Uh, and that's how I awoke. My ringtone scared the crap out of me, and uh, <laughs> that was crew scheduling, con. Uh, I answered, and and the scheduler informed me that I had an assignment with a report time of of 5 a.m., which is just that minimum uh, two-hour call-out for the short short call reserve. Uh, And the plan was that I was to take a spare plane to Nashville and bring one back from Nashville, back to Indy, that needed uh, some fixing up. So off to the airport for an early start for the day. The schedule did say that I should get back around 9 a.m., 9.30, something like that. So that was a plus. It would be a nice way to, to, even though it was an early start, I could I could be done early and, and have some time to relax. So I got to the airport and I had no idea where the plane was. Uh, the schedule did not indicate if it was at a gate or not. Um, but the one thing with reposition flights is that a lot of times these aircraft are located at a hangar and not a gate. Uh, but I still didn't exactly know where it was up until an hour prior to the scheduled departure time. That's when, you know, an hour prior to departure, scheduled departure at least, uh, our dispatch release will, will load onto my phone. And so the release instructed me to go to a specific gate, call maintenance, and uh, then maintenance would come up and, and let me down the jet bridge and then would walk outside and catch a van ride over to the hangar. Uh, and that's precisely what uh, what I did. It was it was pretty cool, actually. You know, besides the fact that I was up very early in the morning, you know, it was around four a.m. and it's it's dark out, and and you get that kind of VIP feeling ride a- across to the other side of the airport in a van, which is pretty neat. I mean, we drove right by a couple of humongous FedEx uh, Boeing seven hundred and sixty sevens that were uh, taxiing out for for early morning departures. Uh, it's insane how large those things are, especially when you're up close to them. Uh, but anyway, the captain and I got to the plane, and uh, it was all ready to go. We, we pre-flighted, programmed the route, and uh, started up and went on our way to Nashville. It was a pretty short flight. I think it was only about 40 minutes or so. And we brought the plane to a gate, and right away another crew was ready to take it to their destination. I don't even remember where they were going, but uh, we brought them a, a fixed-up plane, all set for them. And on our schedule, we were scheduled to to bring back uh, that another plane back to Indy um, shortly after arriving into Nashville. But unfortunately, the maintenance uh, technicians were still working on the plane, so we had to sit around for a while—four hours, to be exact—which um, is kind of a bummer. I mean, moments like this, we we refer to them as sits, where you're you're waiting in between your assignments at the airport. Uh, these sits are. Quite a bit draining. I mean, who would have thought that just sitting around can make you tired? Well, they do. I much prefer staying busy and, and active with whatever work assignment I'm on, but sitting around is just not my cup of tea. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, that's that's just part of the job. But finally, uh, the aircraft was was ready, and we brought it back to Indy, and uh, and all was pretty uneventful. These reposition flights, they're they're pretty fun because you get to fly an absolutely empty airplane. There's no people on board and not that much fuel. So we're about 20 to 25,000 pounds lighter than we would be with a full boat of people, bags, and fuel. And you can really tell the difference on takeoff and landing, how, how the aircraft handles. On takeoff, the plane rotates and just quickly hops off the deck and, and we're climbing at sometimes uh, upwards, and, and if not over 4,000 feet per minute. Uh, so you're just an absolute rocket off the deck, which is really neat. And the controls just feel really sharp and, and incredibly responsive. Uh, to contrast, when you're you know heavier at a normal weight, the controls feel kind of a little bit sluggish, uh, and the inputs can take a little bit of time to respond, just because you're that much heavier. And on landing, you really have to uh, cut the power back at idle around 50 feet. Um, sometimes even 100 feet, depending if you feel uh, a bit of an updraft at the last second, so that you don't completely float down the runway. You know, Normally on a, a regular landing, I'll make sure that the, that the power is definitely idle somewhere between 50 and 30 feet above the ground. Uh, but you really have to be a little bit ahead of the game when pulling back that power so that you don't float down the runway. Because when you're heavier, it's the plane just settles down to the runway a lot easier because of that extra weight but when you're light you really kind of almost have to force the plane to to stop flying so to speak and once you do touch down it's amazing how quickly the decelerating process starts i mean by the time i got the on this particular landing by the time i got the thrust reverse uh, deployed it was almost time to stow it right away thrust reversers for for the Embraer 170 that I fly they have to be stowed below 60 knots Uh, and so with how light we were on this particular approach our perch speed was I don't know about 120 knots or so and so it must have only taken again because we were so light I think it only took us like three to five seconds to go from that 120 knot touchdown speed to a to that 60 knot limitation so the thrust reversers uh, didn't really do anything for me because we were so light that normal braking was was all that we uh, we really needed and and with that being said i mean there was i was applying very little brake pressure at all uh just because the, the the second that you know the wheels touched the ground that friction did pretty much all the work uh there wasn't as much weight carrying momentum and so it was very easy to slow down uh, I wasn't even trying, and uh, I think you know I could have easily come to a stop in, in like four thousand feet without really trying that hard. You know, on a ten thousand foot runway, so you got plenty of space. But anyway, uh, a lot of fun flying those uh, those reposition flights because it's just different. It's you know it's it's different than the normal flying that we do with with you know all the fuel and passengers and bags loaded up. So it's it's unique. You know, you don't do these reposition flights all that often. Uh, I think that was you know we did the back to back one there. Uh, and before then, I think I'd only done once, so uh, that was my second and third reposition flights that I've ever done. So although we got back a little later than I wanted to, I think I didn't make it back to the hotel till around 1 p.m. instead of 9 a.m., um, I still had a, a decent amount of time to relax before the, my next reserve assignment, which was for the next day at, at 3 a.m. again. Um, and, and then that, that next morning, I, I woke up a little bit after three, but I didn't see any notification from the company, no phone calls, nothing on our, our uh, crew application. So I just went back to sleep and just made sure my phone was on ringer. And just before five, I think around 4.50 or so, I was, I was abruptly woken up by my ringtone and lo and behold, it was crew scheduling with another assignment for me. Uh, and so this one I had to show up at, at 6.50. Um, actually, I remember the scheduler was wondering if I could show up earlier, and one of the things that I make a note to do is just, you know, we we have a two-hour call-out period for this short call reserve, and I don't ever waive that. Um, You technically can waive it, and there's a potential to make a little extra money if you waive it, but that's just added stress. You know, what's the point... Of making just a few extra dollars to be stressed out and having to get to the airport early, you know the the only time that I would waive it is if I was already on airport property. But you know I want to take my time, you know get up, freshen up, shower, shave, you know spend a little bit of time just getting ready for my day instead of having to rush to the airport. So I did not uh, waive my show time. Um, you know I was going to take my time, and you know I still got there for my uh, the two hour call out, uh, but that meant that I was getting to the airport just a few minutes before uh, boarding, which still, plenty of time. It was all good. Uh, and the assignment for the day was to fly to Newark, and then from Newark go to Syracuse, New York, and then uh, back to Newark, and then I was going to spend the night in Newark and then um, sit on reserve the next morning for a little bit and then go back home to Boston. Um, it, but this this was going to be a long day because since I had woken up at... Um, Right around 3 a.m., and and my reserve assignment started. Then my my duty period then was from 3 a.m. all the way until 1600, 4 p.m., which is when uh, we were supposed to be released for the day, coming back uh, from Syracuse into Newark. And so this put me right at the legal limit for uh, for the regulations, in Part 117, for our duty limitations. You know, having three legs uh, in a day, starting if, if you know my. Um, duty time started right at 3 a.m. That meant that I had a 13-hour duty limit per those regulations. So that that was uh, right at the border there, uh, and that was kind of the first time that I actually had to carefully check the the rules and, and just verify that I was legal to complete this assignment. And I was just barely legal, uh, but that was that was a long day because a lot of times, you know, back when I was on short call reserve, I always bid for the the PM reserve, um, which your reserve assignment. Was twelve hours long, but you know the the chance of getting called later in the day was was lower because you know airlines don't operate a lot of flights late at night for at least for the domestic flights and and we don't do any uh, red eyes or anything like that so you know the chances of getting used after five p.m. really drop off drastically so I, I never really had issues with uh, having to think about my my duty limits because. In most cases, I was starting halfway through the day anyway, uh, and so it, there you know, rarely was was a situation where I had to double check, you know, the the table requirements for our duty limitations. But in this situation, yeah, I had to double check, made a couple phone calls just to make sure, and yep, I was legal. Uh, and although this was uh, just a day trip, you know, again three legs, um, just a day trip for me, even though this was the middle of a four day reserve assignment. Uh, it, it was a really fun one. I, I got to fly with a captain who I think he's number nine on the seniority list at our company and his hire date was in 1994. That's three years before I was even alive. <laughs> so, you know, what What a treat to fly with someone so knowledgeable and, and just a really cool guy too. Uh, I really liked how he took his time with briefings and and one of the first things he said to me after we, you know, we shook hands, introduced ourselves was, hey, man, uh, I'm just as human as the next pilot, so if you see me make any mistakes, just just let me know. And I really admired that. I mean, he was right off the bat setting a great tone for the trip. And in my mind, that's one of the defining aspects of, of being a, a good captain is, is just that, and that's setting the tone. Uh, and I knew right away that, you know, that those first few seconds of talking to this guy that this was going to be a good trip because there was an understanding set by both of us. And I think I responded to him kind of the same thing. I was like, yeah, by all means, please correct any of the mistakes I make too, because uh, I too, I'm, I'm human. Um, and so it was kind of a bummer that this was um, only going to be a day trip because I, I really enjoyed flying with him. Uh, and I definitely aspire to be like him and and uh, set a great tone and, and be that captain that first officers and flight attendants will want to fly with. So that's my plan, you know, set that tone. You know, the first thing I'm going to say is, hey, you know, let me know if there's anything I can do for you. Let me know if I'm doing something wrong, because that means that you're right off the bat, you're, you're wanting to communicate. But anyway, when uh, when we got to Newark, I, I parted ways with this really cool captain and went on to my hotel. And what was really neat about this overnight is that you know I, I didn't know I was going to be staying in Newark until early that morning, uh, but my buddy Trevor from training was also going to be on an overnight at the same hotel. And I unfortunately did not have any of my recording equipment to to do a podcast episode with him, uh, and I've been meaning to do this with him for a while anyway, uh, but nonetheless we, we got a bite to eat and, and chatted for a while and shared some stories about flying, like we pilots always do, <laughs> but Trevor is—he's really eager to get on this podcast, and and so am I. So he's—he's he's actually in the middle of upgrade training right now to become a captain, and so I'm—I'm I'm really stoked to meet up with him again in the future and, and talk about that upgrade experience, and get him on this podcast because he's got a lot to share, and it'll definitely make for a great episode. So stay tuned for that one. Uh, But like I said, the next morning I had just a a little bit of a reserve assignment. I think it was from 4 to 10 a.m. or something like that. And then it was just a deadhead back to Boston. And this was a Thursday, and then I had two days off. uh, But it sure didn't feel like enough time at all. Um, And that that last assignment that I had, that out-of-base reserve assignment in Indianapolis, was actually my last reserve assignment because for June... I now have a, a long overdue line, uh, you know, meaning a, a set schedule where I have all trips instead of reserve days. And even though I had one more trip for May, it wasn't reserve. Um, that last trip in May, I had, uh, I had swapped some reserve days with another buddy to, to put a trip in lieu of reserve days. So it, it didn't you know, make it feel like a reserve assignment at all. Um, but the only unfortunate thing is that this trip was not a Boston-based trip. It was actually a, an Indy-based trip, funny enough. Back to Indy I go. Um, and so the, the start of the trip was a 10 a.m. report time on Sunday. And in order to get to Indianapolis the same day, instead of flying in the day before and, and some sp- spending some money on a hotel, I actually had to fly two legs to get to work. The reason I had to do two legs was because the first direct flight from Boston to Indy did not arrive in Indy until noon, so that that clearly wouldn't work given the 10 a.m. report time. So what I had to do is do two legs uh, and take a very early, it was like one of the first flights out of Boston to um, go to Detroit on Delta, and then another Delta flight from Detroit to Indy. And the first flight was fine, got to Detroit on time, and after I boarded the second flight in Detroit, I then became a little bit apprehensive because the, the captain's welcome aboard announcement, he said there was a, a maintenance, uh, maintenance was on board and they were fixing something and, and this meant that we wouldn't be pushing back uh, on time. So, I, I mean, uh, right there I was I was getting prepared to call crew scheduling to let him know that my commute might be getting in a little late and, you know, that, that could delay our departure time for uh, that first leg. But thankfully the, the delay... Uh, was, I think it was just merely 15 minutes or something. So I ended up having plenty of time. Uh, I think I got to Indy about an hour before um, the departure time for, for my scheduled trip. So all was well. And this was the trip that um, I think I had mentioned briefly in, in um, one of the last episodes where I went downtown with the captain um, to an interesting celebration for Memorial Day in, in downtown Memphis. And it was a barbecue with uh, with some bars and, and live DJs. Uh, and as, as the captain and I kind of put it after we, we got there, it's like, okay, the food wasn't exactly a true barbecue. I mean, it was decent enough food. There was some good chicken quarters, mac and cheese, you know, some typical kind of Southern foods, but it was, it was certainly not a barbecue, um, but I, I think the, the event was clearly about the music and, and the booze. <laughs> so the captain and I had had a drink or two. We, we played a ton of cornhole. I think we were playing cornhole for like an hour and a half. Uh, we listened to some bumping tunes. I mean, these were kind of some interesting DJs. Uh, they had, I think, three or four different stages going on, um, and, and there were some interesting mixes that they were making with some old classic songs with modern twists and, and just Huge booming bass elements. Uh, it's really not my my go-to event because it's honestly just too loud. Uh, but we still had fun because you know I, I don't do this kind of thing that often at all. So you know when there's an opportunity to go out with a crew, it's it's a lot of fun. And so after that long overnight in Memphis, I think it was about thirty-four hours. It was one of the the longer overnights I've ever had. Uh, our next overnight was in Madison, Wisconsin. It was only. Unfortunately, it was a pretty short one. I think it was only going to be uh, 12 hours. But I, I was still excited for it because uh, i had never been to Madison before. And I remember on the approach coming in, it's, it's just this very flat uh, area. And lots of farm fields. And, and if you know Wisconsin, I mean, that, that area, it's known for its dairy farms. Uh, and a buddy of mine from college from uh, the Ultimate Frisbee days, Jacob. He lives there in Madison. He's actually an air traffic controller in the tower there. Uh, he wasn't working at the time of our arrival, so no, I, I did not get to talk to him on the radio. Hopefully someday I get to do that, that'd be really fun. Uh, but after we landed, uh, he and I met up for dinner, and like I said, it was it was a short overnight, unfortunately, um, so if if i had had more time and had my recording equipment, I, I definitely would have recorded an episode with him to talk about air traffic control, because there's all kinds of things to talk about, uh, and he's got a lot to share as well, uh, but you know, there was a second time I did not have my recording equipment with me, <laughs> so I think I think I need to bring my recording equipment every time I am flying because there's all kinds of opportunities like this where your schedule changes or you never know who you're gonna meet up with and, and there's a chance to to record an episode. So, uh, but anyway, this was a it was a short visit. Uh, like I said, it was just a quick 12-hour overnight. I think we spent a couple hours together, got some really good pizza downtown. He uh, he lives in this pretty high up floor. I think he's on like the 10th floor or something at this. Um, apartment complex that overlooks part of downtown. It's just beautiful area. Um, it's, it's a neat little town. It's just neat little city. It's, it's got a very uh, college vibe to it. I think there's quite a few schools downtown there. So a lot of young people walking around. A lot of really good restaurants there and, and of course if I'm in Madison, Wisconsin I gotta have some cheese curds so we got uh, some cheese curds for the appetizer and then uh, some really good pizza there too. It's really delicious. So the next day we made it back to Indy around I think 1 p.m., which for the rest of the crew was, was great for them to get home at a reasonable hour, but for me I had to jump on a commute flight home to Boston, and that's the only bummer about you know taking any trips out of base, or or in general if you're a commuter, is that once you get home, you're not truly home, you then have to commute home. Uh, and I think I got home to my apartment around seven thirty eight 8 p.m. So that was just a very long day because, um, you know, we were in Madison. I think we had a 5.30 van time. That's central time, so call it 6.30 Eastern time. Yeah, I, that was a 13-hour day. You know, this is a very long day. So I was, I was definitely tired. Uh, and the real stinger was that I had another trip the next morning. Uh, because this was june 1st and that started my first month of, of having a, a set schedule a line and so it was it was also a 7 a.m report time so that meant that by the time i got home you know i had to plan on being out the door 5 a.m the next day so i pretty much had 10 hours at home between this four-day trip and then you know backed right into a two-day trip so not exactly pleasant um not much time at home in between trips Luckily, though, this this two-day trip was fairly uneventful, with the exception of the very first leg of day one and the very first leg of the last day, day two. On leg one, when we were leaving, we were about ready to push back out of Boston, and something interesting happened we had just received our takeoff calculation numbers over the Cars. and Cars is this digital communication platform that we can use to communicate with dispatch and air traffic control for certain items like clearances and, and airport weather, uh, and then of course our, our takeoff and landing numbers. And uh, so what we'll do is, is um, you know, when we're getting these numbers, I'll, I'll plug in, you know, let's say we're using these two runways for departure, I'll plug those in and based on the winds and, and our, um, you know how much fuel we're gonna have. Uh, plug all those numbers in, and then it spits back a bunch of numbers to to give us to to plug in to tell the plane that yep, this is based on our weight and these winds, these conditions. That these are our rotation speeds. This is our thrust settings. Like, you know all that kind of stuff. And so what I'll do is is on my side, on my multifunction uh, control display unit, is uh, I'll pull up those numbers that uh, that we got. And these numbers include things like takeoff speed, flap settings, thrust settings, things like that. And and on the captain's page, uh, he'll input those those numbers that we got back um, and and plug everything in. And what was interesting is that on his side, he was unable. The captain was unable to uh, activate to to tell the system that hey, the the auto throttles will be on for the takeoff because we always use our auto throttles. Uh, the only way we would not use the auto throttles is if they were deferred. You know, they were broken for some reason, and and we had to fly without them. Uh, but if they're if they're there, you know, if they're not deferred, we need to use them. Uh, but the the option to turn them on was not working. It was really strange. Uh, I went to the same page on my side because these two uh, control display units are independent. They they communicate with each other, but they can independently uh, work and I could select it on on my side, select the auto throttle settings on on my side, but it, it wouldn't stick, it would revert back to off and then it would go blank again on his side. So it was, it was clearly some sort of problem. Um, and at this point it was like, oh man, this is you know, at a crucial point where we've closed all the doors and, and all the bags are loaded, uh, so we're, we're, ready to go. Uh, but one thing the captain did luckily is, is that he dropped the parking brake and then reset it. And what that did is that made sure we were on the clock, you know, that showed that we were blocked out because at this point, yeah, the, the jet bridge had pulled away from the plane and, and we were ready to push back. Um, and this was a situation where this issue we should be able to resolve without needing to have everyone get off the plane and have maintenance come in or, or anything like that. Um, uh, so we, you know, we, just made the announcement that we're just working on something real quick and we'll get back to you guys. And we, we told the ramp crew as well that, yeah, hold on, we'll be ready to push back in a few minutes. Uh, so we called maintenance and maintenance told us that the solution was to just completely restart the plane. You know, go cold and dark and then just restart it. Uh, and so that's what we did. Uh, we made an announcement to the passengers. Uh, you know, at this point it was, it was light out at this point, but we, we had everyone lift their window shades because, you know, everything would be turned off. No electricity, so it'd be really dark. Um, so we shut down the the APU, the auxiliary power unit. Um, and, and again, everything went cold and dark, turned off the batteries. Everything was dark, set a timer, a couple minutes, and then we started it and, um, it all worked. Uh, that, that thrust setting page, uh, was back operating. So sometimes, I mean, it's it's just kind of like, you know, just like when a printer malfunctions, sometimes you just got to turn it off, unplug it, shake it upside down, (laughs) try again. Uh, so, you know, that's, without shaking the plane upside down. (laughs) That's that's essentially what we did, is we just restarted it and and everything was working fine. Unfortunately, when you do restart the plane, it resets any programming that you might have previously put in, like the routing and and all these other settings, you know, our performance settings. So we had to redo everything that we had already done earlier. Uh, So that took a couple extra minutes, but it it still wasn't a big deal. And after that, we were on our way. And this two-day trip had... um, I think that, that first leg was just to LaGuardia, and then the, the second leg was uh, a leg to Omaha. And so the the overnight was in Omaha, Nebraska, which is a, another place that I'd never been before. And this is a, a neat city. After we got back, um, uh, we, we, we got to the hotel, and I, I went out and I walked around downtown because I still had a couple hours of daylight. Um, and it's a neat little downtown. There's a couple of artistic areas. There's one um, little park that has uh these interesting sculptures of of geese and and uh i want to say they were bison or buffalo or something uh but it was it was really neat it was was pretty cool um pretty quiet downtown too i mean it was on a was that a sunday i guess monday sunday yeah i guess so you know it it seemed awfully quiet um regardless but uh, it was a nice little downtown i actually grabbed some really good chinese food and i know you're probably thinking you know if if you know omaha if you're going to omaha and you've never been? Why you're not going to a steakhouse? <laughs> uh, I'll be honest, I just wasn't in the mood for steak, and I also did not feel like spending more than fifteen dollars for food. What can I say? Sometimes I'm cheap. <laughs> but after that overnight, we were on our way back home, and uh, this was going to be three legs. It was the the first leg to LaGuardia uh, from Omaha to LaGuardia, then to DC, and then the final leg back to Boston. Uh, we were scheduled to arrive into Boston around 8 p.m. Uh, and so I was, I was definitely excited to get back home since this has been a lot of traveling the past six days. Um, you know, because it was that, that four-day trip back-to-back back right with this two-day trip. So it was a lot of, of time on the road. I was, I was definitely eager to get back home. But... Uh, Did we get back at 8pm? No. I mean, life throws curveballs right when you uh, really don't want it, when it's incredibly inconvenient. (laughs) Uh, And so everything was was uneventful up until the arrival from D.C. into Boston, that last leg. Um, the, The saying goes that, you know, leg one of a trip. And the last leg of the trip are the two legs where things just happen. Because that's you know, <laughs> those are the times when you don't want things to happen. That's just when, when things go wrong sometimes. Uh, but on the arrival, uh, again, this was probably around 7 p.m. on the arrival into Boston. We were, um, the one arrival we were coming on kind of puts you right over Long Island uh, coming from D.C. There were some sizable buildups uh, on the southern coast of, of uh, Connecticut there. But we we didn't have any issue getting around these cells. Um, it was you know, we had briefed the flight attendants and passengers. We we're expecting a really bumpy arrival, but it honestly wasn't that bad at all. So that was nice. Um, and the captain was uh, the one flying this this go home leg. And uh, again, the arrival was totally uneventful. We came in. We we're coming on the ILS approach to uh, runway four right. I think it was in Boston. And right around 500 feet, the captain clicked the autopilot off. And the oral alarm that tells us the, that the autopilot was going off uh, would not silence. Normally, we can just click the autopilot disconnect button a second time, and it's supposed to silence the alarm, but this was not working. Uh, I tried on my switch as well, and it just stayed stuck. Uh, and so we just heard the, the autopilot oral warning going off over and over and over. Uh, And later I actually took a recording of it. So it sounds like this So you can Kind of see how incredibly annoying that might get after a while, right? I mean, I I flipped on the taxi back uh, towards the gate I flipped through our our quick reference handbook and uh, tried to see if there was you know any way that that we could get this thing to to stop yelling at us uh and and essentially the book just told me if the disconnect button was unsuccessful at silencing the alarm the only other solution was to shut the plane down completely and restart it uh you know just like a restart we had the day before on leg one uh which you know we couldn't just restart the plane while we're taxiing so we had to deal with this autopilot oral warning going off throughout the entire taxi back to the gate. Uh, you know, I'm on the radio, because first officer's usually always on the radio um, when when you're taxiing on the ground, because the, the captain is the one who's taxiing, uh, the, the pilot flying on the ground, so to speak. And so, you know, through all the taxi instructions and crossing runways and all that, I had to respond to air traffic control instructions with this darn autopilot, 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 autopilot voice going over and over and over again. Uh, and it was, you know, the, the first couple minutes, the captain and I were just kind of laughing about it because it was, it was honestly funny, uh, but it started getting really annoying. Uh, and we were very eager to get to the gate and get this day over with. Uh, but alas, that would be too easy, wouldn't it? When we got towards the Delta ramp, um, this trip, we were, we were operating the, the Delta Code share uh, So we're heading back towards the A terminal in Boston. We... Uh, We were informed by the ramp controller as soon as I switched from uh, the Boston Ground Controller to Ramp Control that uh, the ramp controller told me that due to lightning strikes in the vicinity of the airport, the ramp was closed. And so what this meant is for the safety of the the ramp agents, they would remain inside during this time for obvious reasons. You don't want people getting struck by lightning. Uh, And of course, the only drawback to this is that, you know, first of all, our gate was occupied and so that aircraft could not push back because of the aforementioned ramp closure, you know, you don't have rampers to, to guide the plane off the gate. Uh, and then, you know, on the flip side, even if our gate was open, we couldn't go in because you need the, the marshalers to bring us into the gate. And again, they have to be outside. So you have all of a sudden you have a bunch of planes that are wanting to push back and then a bunch of more planes that are trying to get in. And so it just becomes a bit of a cluster. Uh, in fact, I think I remember um, a couple of my buddies, Callan and Brandon, the, those two guys who I've had on the show before, they were also there. I think I remember Brandon was actually the plane right behind us uh, coming into the Delta ramp because I remember hearing his voice on, on the frequency. So, you know, <laughs> we weren't the only ones stuck. Um, but we weren't, you know, not only were we stuck with no gate to get to, but there was also this darn autopilot alarm going off constantly. Uh, and with the lightning strikes that, that kept hitting within a mile of the ramp, this meant that it would reset that 15 minute timer that they use, uh, meaning that, you know, okay, if a lightning strikes within a mile, they got to close the ramp for 15 minutes. Uh, and it just kept resetting that timer. So it looked like we were going to be stuck for a little bit while, um, for, for quite a bit. And, and at this point, the captain and I had been listening to that autopilot alarm for, Probably about 30 minutes, which is a long time to hear a really annoying voice go off over and over and over again. And there's no way to, to quiet it down or silence it. And so we decided, you know, since it's going to be a while longer before we can get into our gate, we're going to go ahead and restart the aircraft to, to see if we can get this thing to shut off. And so we let ramp control know, and uh, they were cool with that, where we were sitting, um, you know, just, uh, I don't know, about a couple hundred feet away from our gate, they were fine. Yeah, like, yep, go ahead and shut down, just come back on frequency and you're done. Uh, And then normally I would make a passenger address to all the passengers to let them know that what we were doing. You know, we kept making announcements, letting them know that, uh, you know, due to lightning on the ramp, uh, it's closed, we're sitting for a little bit, but I didn't want to make any more announcements because anytime i made an announcement in the background of my announcement you'd hear autopilot 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 so i didn't need uh, everyone hearing that so what i did is i actually called the flight attendants and uh, what we did is we had them make the announcement on behalf of us so that they didn't have to hear that autopilot autopilot over and over again um, so the flight attendants, they they told the passengers that we're still waiting on the gate because of the lightning and then we're also going to restart the plane And so we restarted the plane for a second time on this trip, (laughs) Uh, and luckily it worked. Uh, Thank goodness, because it was getting hard to hear anything but that darn alarm. And it was was getting pretty annoying and hard to concentrate on what was going on. So it was a huge relief uh, after, like I said, I think it was upwards of 30 minutes of hearing that alarm go off, finally got that to stop. Uh, and once we were back up and running, I, I called Ramp Control to let them know that we were back on frequency, and, and he told me that we missed nothing and that the ramp was still closed and there was more lightning going on. And so, long story short, by the time we uh, by the time the ramp opened up and we finally got to our gate, we had been on the ground, uh, you know, after landing, you know, from touchdown to to setting the parking brake at the gate, it had been about an hour and a half uh so just a really long time uh and we were all so relieved to be getting off the plane uh and i remember up, upon deplaning uh, as as i greeted people you know i stood there in the doorway as i greeted people and, and thanked them for their patience you know normally i a lot of my uh goodbyes are like yeah take care thanks for flying with us see you bye bye now take care bye bye uh, <laughs> on this one I, I multiple times was like thank you for your patience thanks for flying with us thanks for your patience you know because uh, gosh i mean that that really sucked to be to be honest to put it quite frankly it was not fun but one of the things that that I noticed um, when I was thanking people for their patience is I actually we we the the flight attendant and I re- received quite a few compliments thanking us for being really clear uh, in what was going on and, and keeping everybody in the loop and I uh, had quite a people quite a few people sympathetic to what we're dealing with up there um, because you know we made our announcements uh, we just made him quite clear and concise. Just let people know that, Hey, this is a situation It's completely out of our control. Uh, but it's the least thing it's the least we can do uh, when something is completely out of our control is just let them know, let them know what's going on. Uh, and it can at least put, put a passenger's mind at ease. Um, and I know there were, I think five or six people trying to make a connection. I'm not sure if they made it or not. Um, but it definitely was a little bit stressful for everyone, but so that was, that was really nice to have people, uh, who were thanking us for, for just, you know, Bringing them to Boston safely and, and uh, letting them know what was going on, uh, but uh, anyway, it was it was really great to get back <laughs> because I was really eager to get home. Now you know we were in the gate quite a bit later than we had planned, and and the thing was is that I only had one day off before another day trip, so talk about working a lot. <laughs> For the most part, this two day trip was was pretty straightforward. Uh, it was supposed to be just two legs on day one, and then I think three legs on day two. So kind of actually a very similar trip to the one I had just flown. Uh, but the only unfortunate thing is on day one, in between the first two legs, it was going to be a long sit in Indy. I think it was be about four hours. Um, and then a leg to D.C. and overnight. So it was just going to be Boston to Indianapolis, sit there for four hours or so, and then fly to D.C. and overnight there. Um, and you might be wondering, like, why why would these long sit times be integrated into our schedule and it's really there so that uh, you know if there's an extra crew just sitting in in a base and just waiting for the next leg this means that scheduling has an ability to to reassign you to fly something else you know something were to happen some irregular thing happened another crew called out or maintenance issues whatever it might be you have another crew essentially on standby even though they're supposed to fly the next thing you know, then scheduling could pull in some reserves or something, and and because you're right at the airport, you know, you could get to another gate in thirty minutes or less. Uh, so that's why they 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 put these sits into into our schedules, um, which is eh, it's kind of annoying. I mean, one of the things is that it, it does we because of these sits, we do away with airport reserve, often referred to as, as hot reserve. So some airlines will have this. Uh, in fact our airline uh, our uh, flight attendants have this where you, you sit hot reserve meaning you're at the airport and you, you have to get to the gate within uh, I think it's like 20 to 30 minutes or so it's like it's like a short short call notice. And, and technically this this airport reserve is in our pilot contract, but we don't get this or at least I haven't ever since I've been at the company. And so again, what this, this does is having a sit is kind of like having an airport reserve. Uh, so you have a whole crew waiting there for you uh, that crew scheduling can use to, to reassign you. So these sits, like, like I've mentioned, it's highly inconvenient for us working those types of trips uh, because like I mentioned earlier, uh, you know that sit I had in Nashville, you know, waiting to fly that, that repo plane back, uh, it's, it's strangely tiring to just sit around and do nothing. You know and and waste away some time you know whether you're sitting watching a movie or eating some food i mean four hours is a long time to sit around and do nothing it, it becomes tiring like i said earlier i i much prefer I'd, I'd rather have a 12 13 hour day of staying busy than a 10 or 9 hour day with a four hour sit in the middle of it you know it's just it's just not fun uh but halfway on the first leg from boston to indy before we even got to indy we got an acars message from dispatch which told us to call scheduling upon landing. Uh, So the captain, and I remember we saw that message. Captain and I looked at each other and we just kind of had that face of, ah, time for a reassignment, huh? And sure enough, that's that's exactly uh, what it was. So instead of a long sit in Indianapolis, we were now going to take an empty plane with just two mechanics and one of our flight attendants to Kansas City. Again, a reposition flight. Um, We're gonna drop that plane off for the next crew to take to LaGuardia. I think along with uh, one of the flight attendants we brought, who was replacing another flight attendant who called out fatigue. Uh, So it was kind of two birds with one stone. We were bringing a flight attendant to replace another flight attendant and a a brand new plane uh, that was you know ready to fly. And then we'd be hanging out there while the the maintenance technicians would fix up the other plane, uh, and then we'd bring that from Kansas City back to Indianapolis and then overnight in Indianapolis, and then rejoin our original trip on the very last leg of the day, which was going to be Indianapolis back to Boston uh, later in the evening. So we got the replacement plane all ready to go. We had the maintenance techs on board. They had all their equipment they needed to bring, the, the, the replacement parts. We had the one flight attendant with us. We were uh, not quite about ready to push back, but we were getting ready to, and then we um, Maintenance control and, and dispatch called to let us know that, nope, hold the push. You know, we, we were figuring something out here. Uh, so we waited and waited and waited some more. I think it was at least 30 minutes or so. Um, the good news is, you know, we, we were, uh, the, the captain and I were in contact with dispatch, and dispatch was said, hey, we'll let you know as soon as we got something. Uh, but we weren't hearing anything from dispatch. But the two maintenance techs were, you know, in communication with their supervisors, and their supervisors got the, the news earlier than we did. That the plane in kansas city had been fixed up which meant that we no longer needed to bring this other plane there uh and that you know the whole flight attendant thing i guess that would be figured out that was a different thing for scheduling to figure out so now you know we literally had spent at this point about an hour you know getting ready and and thinking we're going to go to kansas city to, to bring this plane uh there to to then fly onto that next leg but now we weren't going to do that so at this point the dispatch at this point did did call confirm yep you're canceled you know call crew scheduling to figure out what you're supposed to do so now what um so i i called crew scheduling and since you know the, the original trip had like i said that four hour sit i thought well okay uh we're here and we still have another two hours to get back onto our original trip so i asked the scheduler i said, hey. You know that that reposition flight's been canceled. Can I get can the captain and I get put on uh, back onto the original trip? And the scheduler said, Yeah, no problem. Um, I'll get that all done for you. So I hung up, and then a few minutes later, I look at my phone, and it's not the original trip. It did have that same leg from Indianapolis to DC, but then scheduling had put on a deadhead to come back to Indianapolis, and overnight in Indianapolis, which was not the original trip the original trip was supposed to be an overnight in dc and i was i was really looking forward to having this overnight to to go walk around and, and check out the monuments and things like that but that wasn't the case so what the heck was going on <laughs> uh and so i i called the scheduling uh, crew scheduling back and uh, i said hey you know what's the scoop of this this is not the original trip and uh, the scheduler told me well you know This is just what was easiest for them because, you know, we had already pulled some people for reserve and, uh, and this is just what made sense. Uh, (laughs) so I just asked, is there any way that you could put me back on the original trip? I mean, this, this is not what I was hoping to do. Uh, so the scheduler put me on hold to go talk to a supervisor, I guess. And then a few minutes later he came back and he said, nope, this is still what you're going to do. So I said, all right, well, I kind of shrugged and and said to my other crew members, oh, oh well, what can you do? (laughs) Um, so that was the plan, but you know, I, I had called to get notified of that, but the, the captain, you know, I was, I was with the, the captain and the other uh, flight attendant this time, he still had to call crew scheduling as well because, you know, both of us had to be notified in some situations. And actually this is what we ended up doing. Um, you know, you can both be there talking on one phone to crew scheduling and, you know, they mark you both as notified for a schedule change. Uh, but what the captain did is he also called crew scheduling and, and clearly spoke with a different crew scheduler because that scheduler put us back on the original trip with the overnight stay in DC. Uh, And so that phone call, the captain said, oh, you're gonna actually put us back on the original trip? Okay, well, here's my FO here. Can you notify him? So (laughs) the captain handed me his phone and I said, yep, consider me notified back on the original trip. So that just goes to show that sometimes things can get a bit messy in scheduling just because, I mean, imagine trying to track you know, 200 planes and God knows how many pilots and flight attendants operating in one day. I mean, it's it's a lot going on. <laughs> so sometimes you just got to try twice, three times maybe, and, and you'll get what you need. <laughs> but uh, anyway, we, we were now uh, back on that original trip with the overnight in DC. So now I could go walk around and check out the monuments and, and go walk along the, the National Mall like I had planned. So yay. Um, <laughs> again, all of this happened over the course of... That original sit in Indianapolis, and so yeah, um, again, since it was about four hours, there was still plenty of time to to get back. Um, you know, I think we were still waiting for another hour and a half um, into what was that original sit to then go back to, to DC. So we boarded up, we we took off, and we were on our way to DC's Reagan Airport. And I remember the the forecast had called for fairly calm winds, and and the uh, the ATIS, you know, the the hourly weather report at the airport. Uh, as we were getting closer, it was uh, advertising the Mount Vernon visual approach to Runway One, and this approach takes you north up the Potomac River, um, just over next to Mount Vernon, and then uh, you land at Reagan facing north, uh, and you have the National Mall off off to your just off to your right and across from the river. So I was the pilot monitoring; the cap the captain was the pilot flying. And the approach controller handed me off to the tower controller, like normal. At this point, we were probably on a five or six mile final. We were getting ready to, to configure for landing. Uh, but the second I switched over to the frequency, I heard an aircraft in front of us, I think it was a, an American Airbus, uh, call the go-around due to tailwinds. And I thought to myself, oh boy, here we go. Uh, and as soon as I checked on, the tower controller told us, here's your winds. It's currently, winds are 190 at 13, gusting to 18. Can you, can you land? And, and I came back and responded with um, probably a pilot's favorite word to use, uh, unable, <laughs> because most jets will have, and this is the, for the Embraer 170 series, most jets will have a limitation on the tailwind of 10 knots. Some might have more, some might have less, uh, and sometimes it's a company thing too. I've heard some companies it's only a five knot tailwind, uh, but for us it's 10 knot tailwind. And so this gusting wind of, of 18 knots at times, that was almost double of our limitation. So I said, unable and tower told us to, okay, turn right, climb and, and go back to approach control. Uh, and this happened right before we started getting fully configured for landing. It was above a thousand feet. So uh, this is what's called a soft go around because we're, again, we're not fully configured to land. Uh, and because of that, there's kind of less things going on uh, in terms of cleaning up the plane Um, for that go around so it's it's still kind of a go around but it's it's not as crazy because a lot of times I mean I talked about a go around in one of my previous episodes things can get a little nutty because you're having to do 20 things at once uh, and we don't do it all the time so it's a little bit stressful Uh, but because this was a soft go around I think um, you know like I said the gear weren't it wasn't even dropped yet and uh, we had a couple notches of flaps in but uh, it was easy enough to clean up and we were getting vectored all around all around the metropolitan area of dc and i, I remember I, I looked back on flight aware after we landed and uh, just to look at you know our, our track over the ground and it was kind of a bit shocked at uh, some of these vectors that air traffic control was giving us i mean we just went outside of the prohibited airspace that protects the capital and the white house but I, I could definitely tell on, on frequency, air traffic control was just a wee bit frantic to get the runways switched around before arrivals got too backed up. And, and you know, God forbid they have, might have to go into a ground stop at DC. Because in most cases, the winds generally will make a gradual shift or they'll increase. And so a runway change can kind of be planned for. Uh, and they can, you know, determine that, okay, at, at this time, we're going to make this runway change. But in this situation, it was a complete wind shift. Pretty much, maybe it wasn't quite a 180 degree wind shift, but it, it did happen pretty quickly because the winds when we were coming in were just supposed to be variable at like three knots or something, uh, and all of a sudden they're gusting 18 in the wrong direction, and so you know in a matter of seconds this this leaves ATC with with very little time to get traffic all sorted out because all of a sudden everyone's going around. Uh, but they did, they sorted it out, and and I think uh, it only took about 10 minutes or so. We we landed. Uh, on the opposite runway one nine and everything was uneventful. And, you know, since we got that original trip back on our schedule, I, I got to go uh on a very long walk, a, a nice, a really nice evening walk and, and walked around, saw some of the monuments at the National Mall. And I hadn't done that in like nine years or so. So it was it was really great to to get out and get some exercise and witness a beautiful sunset. And then I also, um from the hotel on the um uh, I think it's called the Mount Vernon Trail, I think. It's a really nice biking path that, that goes, uh, goes through this area called Airplane Park. And this park is it's open to the public, and it just sits uh, just north of Reagan Airport, which you know if you go there, you get a phenomenal view of aircraft on approach when they're landing to the south on the River Visual Approach, which is, again, that, that's the approach we did um, to runway 19 when, when the winds shifted. So it's, it's really cool because you'll see, you know, from on the ground, you'll see these planes making the last turn uh, and that last bend around the river. And you got the National, as, as you're flying on, on this approach, you got the uh, the, the Washington Monument, the, you know, the rest of the National Mall off to your left. And you're making this last turn and, and then, you know, right about 200 feet, you, you straighten it up and you land. It's a really cool approach to fly. And, and it's really neat to watch from the ground. So, you know, I I'd, I'd seen pictures and videos from, from people having that vantage point, but I'd never actually gone there and, and witnessed this myself. So that was really cool to, to walk around there and, uh, and get to witness that. I definitely want to go back to, to DC and spend some more time there because I mean there's so many museums and monuments that, that can take some serious time to go through if, if you want to thoroughly enjoy them. Uh, so that's, that's next time. you know maybe I'll just go for leisure or, or hopefully I can get another uh, longer overnight in DC. Uh, but the next day, which was our, our go-home day, again, luckily this was a, a two-day trip, it went pretty smoothly uh, and, and made it home pretty much right on time. I mean, there were no thunderstorms causing ramp closures this time, and, and the autopilot oral alarms, um, you know, they clicked off when we wanted them to, so so nothing, nothing quite happened like the, uh, the previous two-day trip. But uh, all was well. I mean, it was crazy. The previous nine days. I had worked eight days, so I was definitely due for some time off, and that's where I'm I'm at right now, sitting in the middle of a, of a nice five-day stretch of, of off days that I've, I've really needed, um, because, I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I absolutely love flying, but we all need a break from what we do, uh, even if we love it, we definitely need a break, and so this week I'll, I'll be visiting my parents, uh, I don't think I've seen them in over a month, uh, and it's my dad's birthday, so we're going to go play some golf. And then the following day, I've got at my high school. It's a, an alumni versus varsity ultimate frisbee game, which uh, I've taken part in um, ever since I graduated there. And so that'll be really fun. I gotta break out the cleats and show them how it's done. Um, <laughs> am I out of shape? Eh, that's relative. <laughs> but I, I know it'll be a lot of fun. I mean, these high schoolers—they're probably gonna kick us alums' butts. Uh, from what I've heard, the team the the last few years, uh, last couple of years, done really well and won some big tournaments. So. Yeah, I'm a little scared. I'm gonna get embarrassed, but it's gonna be a lot of fun. I'm really excited. So anyway, that's what I've got for you folks for this week. It's it's been a busy couple of weeks as summer flying uh, kicks into gear. Um, but I'm I'm you know gonna really enjoy just being a couch potato for a couple of days because again, like I said, last nine days working eight days that was a lot. And and as I've mentioned in this episode, uh, a lot of things happened uh, and it was pretty crazy. So I'm I'm really excited to just chill out and relax and, and have, uh, just have a bit of a reset so I can, uh, you know, take some time, spend time with family and have a good time. Anyway, thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. I'll be back next week. And until then, as always fly safe.